tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon. It's almost <laughs> as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something. Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like, basically. <laughs> I feel like I just want to be, like, quote-unquote enemies for every time we bring up Baz. You want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff. Hello, and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where two queer IRL witches talk about Any Way the Wind Blows by Rainbow Rowell. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Jesse Blount, and today we are talking about chapters one through three of Any Way the Wind Blows. But before we get started, we have a couple of things, a couple of exciting things to talk about. We do. Uh, first off, we have a brand new podcast, uh, The Gaily Planet, where we are just talking about whatever media strikes our fancy. So if you want to hear about us talking about the Historic Material series, for instance, is our most recent string of episodes, you should definitely subscribe. And more importantly, we are as sort of a kick off of The Gaily Planet, but also as a fun summer activity, we're having summer camp. C-A-M-P, all caps, because it is all campy movies that we love. And it's going to be real cool. We're going to have some fun things happening this summer. So you should definitely subscribe to The Gaily Planet, wherever you find podcasts. Yeah. And then also, big news, we are for, I don't know, the fourth time changing the way that we work on having transcripts of our podcasts available. But this time feels like it's going to be the one that works. Um, so we recently got access to a really high quality um, auto like auto transcribing software that makes it so that it only takes like 90 minutes to fix the transcription of a of an hour long episode. So we are now offering to pay folks to fix those transcriptions. With that ratio, we're paying 50 cents per minute of audio, which will come out to around $20 an hour. If it takes you 90 minutes, it might take a little longer. So we're saying between 15 and 20 an hour, um, depending on how long you personally need to do that cleanup. There's a whole detailed breakdown of how that works on our website at hashtag ruthless.com slash transcriptions. And... We put out five episodes a month. We're hoping to have all five episodes transcribed like within a week or so of their release. And we want to pay you to do it. And we wouldn't be able to pay you to do it without our patrons who are really the ones who are paying you to do it. So I just also want to say thank you to our patrons. Yeah, thank you everyone who is our patron or who has donated money or, you know, been subscribed to our sticker club because... You know, we want to make this podcast as accessible as possible, and neither of us have the mental bandwidth to do transcripts on top of our other million things that we do to make this podcast, to keep this podcast a running smoothly. So yeah, if you're interested in making a little extra cash, you should uh, hit us up. Yeah, it's all it's all there. So just head to that that website. It's linked in the show notes and you can read all about it. Um, and if you don't want to do transcriptions, but you do want to, you know, help me and Jesse pay the bills, including the people who are doing transcriptions, consider joining our Patreon or our sticker club 
or buying our merch or even just writing us a nice review so that other people will listen to us. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. Jesse, what are these chapters about? All right. So we start off this book in chapter one with a whole new, brand new POV for this here book, which is Lady Ruth, who we find out pretty quickly is Simon's grandma uh, and Lucy's mom. And she has a magical candle that makes her believe that Lucy is still alive and just has run away from the fucking mage, that abusive douchebag. And she's uh, waiting for Lucy and the possible child to return to her, especially because her other child is missing, which sucks. Yep. Uh, chapter two. We are with Simon. He's at the Well-Beloved's uh, with Agatha. Um, after a very awkward welcome home Agatha dinner. But uh, Dr. Wellbelove, who is filling in a sort as a sort of father figure, um, lets Simon know that he has inherited a ton of the money from the fucking mage's estate because he's still the mage's heir, even after murdering that dude. Um, in more ways than one, as we find out, of course. <laughs> uh Simon is fighting it because he's like, uh, I killed the mage. I don't want anything to do with this. And Dr. Wellbelove is like, um, it's yours also because of uh, all that abuse and shit that us and the Coven are only now finding out about. So uh, here's your uh, reparations, Simon. Yeah. Cool. Um, and our last chapter, chapter three, is with Shepard, who is... Out of all the all these POVs having the best time, because he is with one penny bunce. And after the events, this is directly after the events of Wayward Son. So he is in London with her while all of our other characters attend to other things. Um, they stop off at Penny and Simon's apartment because Penny probably definitely needs a change of clothes and a shower before they go off um, to her parents' house. Shepard doesn't really feel the same sense of urgency that Penny does about his literally damned soul. But Penny's pretty sure her mom will help. Shepard, understandably, doesn't think she's going to want to help a normal. Yep. All right. So we're going to start things off with easy come, easy go, where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. Lady Ruth, queen of my heart. She makes this pun that out of any other character I would think was an accident, but because of, because (laughs) I know her, I think it's on purpose. So she's lit these like candles for her two lost children. And then she like reaches for her like bedside wine. And she's like, my dead husband wouldn't approve of this spirits so readily at hand. And I'm like, (laughs) oh yeah, both the wine and the ghosts. That's so good. Mm hmm. Uh, my also first thing is about Lady Ruth, because Lady Ruth is a kind of old lady that I love. The sort of like, I have lived long enough to f- to know what is important about my life. And it's like, as the internet says, touch grass or eating a second slice of cake. And I have always been an eating a, sec- a, eating a second slice of cake person because life is short. Like, why the fuck not? Yeah, she's so great. I know I love her. Yeah, I put, uh, I put, she's the grandma we all deserve. Truly. Just so lovely. Such a wonderful 
person even when she's being melancholy she's great you just like Mm want to be around her and just the fact that she's like not ashamed to be like fuck you davy like i literally drank a bottle of wine to celebrate your death i'm like yeah i like you Uh, I also love that about her. That's actually literally my second thing, because I would also drink to that rat bastard. Um, There's a like, I mean, Southeast Michigan, Metro Detroit area, pretty segregated. There's some pretty, there's like a dude in in like the local government who I despise. He was this old racist dude that had been in office for like too many decades. And when he died, I'm like, I want to celebrate. I want to go like piss on his grave because I hate him this much. And I'm like, that's how I feel about a whole bunch of other terrible uh, public figures, honestly. So I'm just like, yes, Lady Ruth, this is the exact response to fucking Davy. Yeah, for real. Okay, so yes, I feel like we get this sort of running through line, that's the word, about Simon's relationship with, like, clothes and the way that he dresses, where he's like, I don't know, I don't care, I don't have a preference, someone else can dress me. But then, kind of whenever we see him get dressed, it's like, oh, you you definitely do have an opinion about this. And we see that he feels very awkward about wearing goofy baggy jeans that hide his tail. He's like, I look like someone's dad. And I'm like, See, you do have a fashion sense. You just, I don't know, are pretending you don't. Yeah. I feel like Simon's the kind of person where he probably has like a couple of articles of clothing and he's like, yes, this is my ideal self. And he just only wants to wear that. Yeah. Uh, I have a sadder point. Okay. Which is, again, with Lady Ruth, where she's imagining where Lucy could have run away to. Because she's like, this candle is still lit, so she's still alive somewhere. And like Agatha does, she imagines that Lucy's in California, like enjoying the sun. And I'm like, oh my god. (laughs) I know. Oh, my feelings. Yeah. Yeah, so this is my last point. I don't know, I didn't take a lot of notes. I appreciate that we get... So Simon spend some time reflecting to us about his relationship with the well-beloveds generally and sort of like their position in his life as surrogate surrogate parents yeah and he tells us that dr well-beloved gave him like the birds and the bees talk when he was 12 and is like but i feel now like he left out some pretty crucial information and i don't know why that made me really happy but it did that simon like i feel like what of what do I think? I think that it takes a level of like self-acceptance to be like the problem is the person who did the educating and not like me as the person who's deviating from the educating. Yeah. And we often see, at least from Baz's perspective, Simon being very like wishy-washy about how he feels about his sexuality. And so I think to me, this feels like a moment of Simon being like, my sexuality is fine. The fact that I didn't get comprehensive sex education is the problem. Yeah, I actually have a little bit more about that in politics. But yeah, I do like I do like that sort of uh, he's he's feeling more comfortable. And, you know, having a near death experience, I think we'll do that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, okay, I I also have one last thing. Which is uh, when Shepard and Penny roll to Penny's apartment 
Shepard clearly has a very like, I don't know, Gryffindor common room sort of idea of like what their apartment's going to look like. And he's just like, oh, it just looks like any other college student. There's like that same shitty Ikea couch. And I'm like, I know exactly which Ikea couch that is. (laughs) There's a really, because there's one from Ikea. I don't know how much it costs now, but it's essentially like a futon love seat that folds out into a bed. Like the cushions sort of fold out. It's honestly not very comfortable, but if you're 19, like you don't really care. But mm-hmm. it's not super comfortable and it's like three feet off of the ground. Um, I definitely had that couch in college and some years after being outside of college, but I don't know. It's definitely a futon couch, whatever it is. Yeah, totally. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I also really liked the part where he's like, there's not even a crystal ball. I was like, no, there is. Don't worry. It's just in Penny's room. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say, and no, Penny does. We do know she owns one. It's just, right. It's just not in their living room because they probably only have a couch and something to put the television on and maybe a coffee table. There's no, there's not anything to display anything. Cause yeah. And also when you grow up in this world, you grow up knowing like crystal ball fire safety because they're like a huge fire hazard. So Penny has never once in her life left her crystal ball uncovered near a window. It would definitely not be. If it was out, it would be like under a cloth, you know? Yeah. Um, That's real, listeners. Crystal balls will light your fucking house on fire. Be careful. (laughs) Don't leave your crystal ball uncovered by a window. Nope. Because who can afford fire insurance? Like, for real. Hello. Nope. What do I say? Welcome to I See a Little Silhouette of a Man, where we talk about character development. So we get introduced to a brand new character, Lady Ruth, a.k.a. Lucy's mom. Mm-hmm. And I, her section is honestly excellent, where she's talking about, you know what? I don't dwell in the past. I try to like being alive and present in my life, even though one of my children has been missing for 20 years, essentially? Yeah. How old is Simon? 19 years? Well, she said it's been almost two years since the mage died. And Simon was 18 or 19 and carry on. So, yeah. And then Lucy, well, I guess she wasn't missing, missing until Simon died. Right? Or until Simon was born. Yeah. So, yeah, like 20 years. Yeah. But her mom didn't know she was having this baby. She just suspects. You right. Know? So, yeah. let's Yeah. Let's like round it up to like 20, 21 years. It's a lot. I just, yeah, I don't know. Because I feel like that's the kind of shit that, like, can destroy people. And I'm like, you are, like, you're doing incredible under the circumstances. Yeah. So. And at this point, her other kid is missing. I'm like, the fact that you're only drinking some fancy wine and not a bottle of tequila is impressive. I mean, it is fortified wine. So it's like, hi, I had to look this up today. Well, A, I had to look up what the wine was, and it was, like, fortified wine. And I was like, okay, now what's fortified wine? And it was like, it's wine with, like, brandy in it. So it's, like, super high alcohol by volume wine. Yeah. So closer to tequila than an average bottle of wine is, at That's least. That's true. Yeah, and her husband is dead. Like, she's definitely been through it. Yeah, she seems... I mean, taking what we little we know of her from the last book, too, because I feel like Agatha's description of her in not in the last book and carry on is like 
she's older than all of her mom's friends, but she still like goes to their parties and she's like, you know, rude and the like fun old lady way of using the word rude and yeah, loud and just like body. And I'm like, yeah, just I, I just like you. I'm pretty sure I just really like you, Lady Ruth. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like I feel like an older person who doesn't give a fuck in the correct way is always awesome, especially like older ladies where you're like, I don't care about this this sort of societal pressure to like conform to be like what people think womanhood is. I don't give a fuck. Right. So and I'm like, good for you. Yeah, for <laughs> real. Welcome to Face the Truth, where we talk about things that are fucked up. Um, I'm going to start off light, lighter, which is, and I don't know if this is a thing we've talked about, but the homophobia in the world of mages. And I bring this up because, like you said, Simon's like, I really feel like Dr. Wellbelove missed some stuff. And I'm like, Dr. Wellbelove, you're a doctor. And I know it's awkward talking to like people, but like you're probably used to having this conversation. But at no point appealing to your sex ed involve anything about gay people, it seems like. And we also have, I mean, Baz is like old money dad. He was like so disappointed that his son is queer and, you know, isn't going to give him a bounty of biological grandchildren, which is just like, ugh. Yeah. And but it's kind of like all right, you're like an old money conservative dude. Like, of course you're homophobic. But it's it's another that the homophobia of the world of mages is definitely a bigger thing than maybe is ever discussed, I guess. You know? Because I'm kind of like, I don't know. Like, I guess it's just funny that the, like, the world of mages doctor is like, it didn't even occur to him to talk to Simon about the existence of gay people, you know? yeah. But I don't, I think that's the sort of casual, unintentional homophobia that comes from being raised in a society that's like straight until proven otherwise as the default. Because I don't think, I don't think that, I feel like Agatha's mom might be homophobic, but I don't think Agatha's dad is homophobic. I think he's just the kind of dude who it would never occur to him to be like, I should assume that I don't know Simon's sexuality when I give this talk. Yeah. Especially when would Simon have been 12, like the early 2000s, right? So I like my guess is that the world of mages is like the same on homophobia as like the rest of the UK. Mm hmm. Um, did you have anything in this section? I do. We get... I feel like a lot in these first chapters about Davy derogatory. Um, <laughs> so both from Dr. Wellbeloved being like, wow, we've all learned that that man was really, really bad. But also from the way that Lady Ruth talks about him, she says, you know, I don't blame my daughter from running away or for running away. Like basically just like Davy was so bad that, I wouldn't even expect Lucy to have found a way to contact me. She says even the power of a mother's love couldn't match that man's capacity for violence and vengeance. Mm -hmm. And it just, I don't know. Obviously we've known a lot of terrible things about the mage, 
but getting to sort of see him through the eyes of the adults, like his peers. Yeah. And especially like someone who he's harmed so directly yeah. and not in the he's been oppressing their family's way, like with Baz's family, but like, yeah, he stole her daughter away. I don't know. It's just very. Yeah. Really, ugh. God, the mage, you're so terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like it feels it still feels very shitty. We're in Dr. Wobelove. It's like, yeah, me and the coven basically are just now figuring out like the depths of how he was shitty to you. Um, now that the humdrum isn't a thing and we're like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it is a terrible idea to use this literal child. And I'm like, really? No one was saying anything before this? I don't know how much they knew because at the end of this book, when Simon goes into the like final battle, right? He says that a lot of the people that are there are seeing him for the first time. That like the mm. mage kept him out of the sight of the public. And so I am curious if it's more like they now have access to like the mage's diaries and, you know, people have talked to Simon maybe for the first time about what all was happening. And so maybe it was like, covered up or spun by the mage to not look to people like what it actually was. Yeah. I mean, it definitely makes sense that he would spin it in a way that people wouldn't look too closely, but yeah, I know. I feel like financial compensation is probably the least the coven could be doing. I know for real. (laughs) Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. We get this, like just seeing Simon have to do that, grappling with like no yeah you killed him but you you have to take this money um we get this devastating line i was his weapon i had a place at his right hand and i never even knew he had a name which i don't know that line just gutted me it's so intense just like yeah i mean the way in which simon had been manipulated by the mage it's like Mm, glad you got all this money because you're going to need a lifetime of therapy to deal with all of this. Yeah. Welcome to Caught in a Landslide, where we rant about stuff. I guess I want to start in the the beginning of this book, in which, okay, this really isn't, this this series really isn't a magical artifact kind of book, you know? Like, a lot of the cool magic stuff is, like, the spells themselves. But we get this really cool, like, candle magic, magical candle vibe from Lady Ruth, where she has these two candles that sort of tell her about the life source of her children, essentially. And it's like, it's like both precise and not precise at the same time, because like, Lady Ruth is like, well, Lucy is alive, this candle is still sputtering. And it's like, oh, it's just like, her ghosts are just sort of like the bit of her that still lives in like Simon, where she's just like holding on just like this littlest bit until simon and lady ruth can meet mm-hmm. you know and i'm just like that's so fucking cool <laughs> it is it's so cool and it's just like very understated but i'm just like yeah you don't need a whole complicated thing you can just have some fucking candles like candles are already magical yeah yeah uh and i can't wait to talk i mean i guess yeah we'll talk about it more when baz sees them and like gives us sort of more about the what this magic is but i don't know i fucking yeah. love it i know um i would like to talk about 
beginning of the next book in a series exposition because it's something we've talked a lot about in the various things that we talk about and like how it's really terribly done in Harry Potter has been a repeated issue that we had on the Gaily Prophet. Um, I think this is lovely. I think that the the summary that we are provided with is done expertly in this book. It's 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 very seamless and it like makes sense that these characters are thinking about it and the fact that it was like a day ago essentially is between like this book and the last book, I guess I'm assuming it takes a long time to fly from California to London. So Yeah, I think it's gonna be it's from San Diego. They're going to have a layover probably at JFK. So that's going to be like seven hours and then a layover. And then it's, I think, f- five or six hours from JFK to London. So they've been traveling for, yeah, probably like a day. Yeah. Which like the idea of being like, yeah, I just landed after like minimum 15 hours of travel. Let's go to dinner with my ex-girlfriend's parents. I'm like, the well-beloveds, calm the fuck down. You need to let them sleep before you make them come to your house. <laughs> yeah, like Penny comes home to shower. I'm like, has has Simon showered? Possibly not. <laughs> right. Oh my God. So yeah, like no wonder it's awkward. Like you're, you have like the worst jet lag because you just traveled literally eight time zones apart. <laughs> yeah, for real. Oh, uh, poor Simon. I guess poor everyone. Because like, poor right, ba- Baz goes home. Simon goes to the well beloved. Baz least. goes to bail Fiona out of jail, out of you're right, a tower. Yeah. Like, I feel like, of well, no, Simon has it worse. Because that's like incredibly awkward, but like having to go when you're that jet lagged and probably for Baz also like desperate to eat some blood and deal with his shitty aunt. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, Baz. That's the worst. I know. <laughs> Literally the worst. We'll talk more about that next time. Yeah. Um, though that is one of my rants here, which like obviously we'll revisit, but just the fact that like you know, we had the whole conversation at the end of the last book of like, what the fuck kind of ending is this? And it's set up as like, we have to go. Watford's in trouble. And then we learn here from Shepard, like Watford's in trouble means Baz's aunt was arrested for something. And it's like, so what? Like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, for listeners who are have maybe recently finishing the book, like that gap feels like oh man that's a bit of a letdown but for folks who like read (laughs) wayward sun and had to wait for every way the wind blows it's like really (laughs) you had to end on that like chest clenching cliffhanger only to be like essentially fine watford's still there yeah for real unforgivable (laughs) the excellent exposition at the beginning of this book does not forgive what happened at the end of the last book (laughs) right exactly Oh, I actually don't have any other things Okay. Here. Yeah, my last thing is that I'm just a huge fan of the way that Dr. Wellbeloved handles this conversation with Simon, where he's just like, no, Simon, take the money. But the fact that we end the chapter with Simon still sort of fighting it, and well, Dr. Wellbeloved's just like, for Merlin's sake, lad, just take the money. And I'm like, yeah. 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 <laughs> Get it. <laughs> It's like, this is a literal windfall that'll help pay for all of your necessary years of therapy, you know? Yeah. The absolute least that we can do is make it so that you don't have to worry about rent for a while. Like, yeah, shut up, Simon. Take the money. Right. 
Welcome to Send Shivers Down My Spine, where we talk about sexy stuff. I actually don't have anything here, so... I have shepherds in love. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's very smitten with Penny. For I like her shoes. I like her argyle socks. I like her clothes. <laughs> They're so cute. I know. Yeah, part of what is making this the best time of Shepard's life, not only because he's like in with some mages, but he, yes, is very taken by Penny and is like, yeah, let's spend more time together. That sounds great. Yeah. I'm not shit to do. What kind of girl brings you home because you're cursed? I would do that, but no one else would do that. I'm like, you're soulmates. You love each other. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) It is also, and we'll get into it, deeply funny where it's like essentially the first thing penny does is like bring shepherd to meet her mom <laughs> yeah. i'm like usually you date for a while first but you know whatever D- do it your way penny <laughs> i know it takes her so long to get in touch no. with her own feelings about this too right it's like why do i feel so strongly about making sure shepherd is a curse it's because he saved my life which yes that's definitely part of it but the other part is that you're also infatuated with shepherd yeah very attractive and much nicer than Micah, who fucking sucks. So, yeah. yeah. There you go. Welcome to Is This Just Fantasy, where we talk about magic and science and research that we did. Yeah. Uh, mm, I forgot to do the research about any of the spells that we get in the first chapter. That's okay. I think we know what most of them are, huh? Yeah, I guess. So we have... Hey, you've got to hide your love away. These are all spells that uh, Lady Ruth uses to try and protect Lucy from afar, from the reach of the mage. Which is just also very, it's like very, it's like very tender, but also very crushing. Yeah. Anyway. So that's a Beatles song. That line is from a Beatles song. It's not the first time we'll get some Beatles song references in this No, obviously (laughs) the Beatles would have a stockpile of magic potential Mm. we have keep it secret keep it safe lord of the rings and then mum's the word i i don't know i just know from watching british media it just means be quiet like yeah keep 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 a secret so Mm -hmm. huh that also occurred to me i'm like there's probably also a hand a, a good handful of spells from lord of the rings which probably became more powerful after the movie adaptation came out and more people were exposed to lord of the rings true yeah (laughs) That is what that's from, right? Mm, I didn't. I didn't look any of these up because I forgot to. So I am impressed that you knew automatically where they were off. I mean, I know that "mum's yeah. the word." I know is like a British phrase. I just looked it up, and it's just like a wall of gifts of Gandalf with it written over his face. So I'm going to say yes, I'm correct, without yeah. doing any further research. All right, sounds good. Um, yeah. So what did you research? Um, we get a reference by Lady Ruth of the poem rhyme uh monday's child which is infamously also the inspiration for wednesday adams first name mm-hmm. uh which for folks that watch the series or listen to our episodes about it is you know where wednesday got her name because wednesday's child is full of woe i looked so i looked this up and so it's like wikipedia says poem but it's really like a folk rhyme that was in the tradition of lots of things that were in the oral history that we now know was taken down by someone in the 1800s or whatever the fuck um 
for predicting like what kind of kids you're going to have depending on when they're born. But fun fact, apparently Wednesday child Wednesday's child being full of woe is a newer more contemporary addition to the rhyme because apparently uh originally it was Friday's child was full of woe because Catholics used to associate Fridays with the crucifixion for some reason. So it was a it was a worse luck. It was like a, a bad luck day, essentially. Interesting. So, I don't know why I got moved to Wednesday. Um, alliteration. Yeah, probably. So we'll do a lot for alliteration, I feel like. That's fair. Humans are very predictable, I think. Do you know what day of the week you were born on? Uh, I was actually born on Friday the 13th because <gasps> I was literally born goth, everyone. <laughs> That's so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the uh, fear of 13 is triskaidekaphobia, which I also learned because I'm like, fear of the number 13, my birthday? How dare you? <laughs> I was born on a Wednesday. Hooray. Love it. Sorry, I just had to look that up. I've never looked it up before. I'm glad that we were both born to be goth. Yeah, for real. <laughs> this is so wonderful to know. <sighs> um, so I did a little research also because we learn the mage's last name here. And I didn't mean for it to be research. I just meant to be looking up how the fuck do you say that, which I still don't know because it's Welsh. And I think the internet pronunciation guides were lying. So I'm not going to try and say it, actually. I'm just going to talk to you about it. Because what I did learn is that that last name belonged to a king of Wales in the 600s who was represented by a red dragon and was a became in like legend a mythical redeemer figure who was prophesized to be deliverer of the Britons from the Saxons. Wow. One of the things on Wikipedia said that his myth provided a Masonic hope for the future deliverance of Britain. And like his emblem of the red dragon was used in the war of the roses. Like both sides were like claiming to be descended from him and saying that it was like they were fulfilling Merlin's prophecy about the red dragon conquering the white dragon so oh this is a very on-purpose last name that Rainbow Rowell has given him. I am so excited. This also, like, hard evidence about fucking the mage using dragon magic to create Simon. Like, yep. how? Because, yes, so he probably is obviously the descendant of this Welsh king who, because the world of mages, there probably was an actual fucking dragon involved. Yes. Yep. Here for it. Perfect. Mm. I'm so glad you looked this up. I know, me too. <laughs> oh, that was so great. Uh, I've been going through a variety of just faces uh, about this because this is, I mean, you know, I love dragons, but I'm like, I love everything about this. Yeah, for real. Also, I feel like on the list of things that if we ever, ever get to talk to Rainbow Rowell, I'm like, I want to just be like, high five. What a great job you did here. 10 out of 10. Great writing. Great world building. Truly. Truly. Love secret world building in fantasy, you know, where it's like only maybe only you will ever know that you did that. Ugh, makes my nerdy heart glow. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like a it's like it's a deep cut that I deeply yeah. <laughs> I appreciate. Yeah. Uh 
All right. So my very last name is uh, uh, my very last name. Jesus. My very last thing is uh, more divination stuff uh, because Lady Ruth talks about watching the signs like she's like, you know, I look at the bottom of every tea cup for a sign about her daughter and that she watches every crow. And so I looked this up because there's a sort of another rhyme, another like old rhyme about like actually started off about magpies, but I think it has also, I think could be also associated with crows too, where it's like one for sorrow, two for joy, three for girl, four for, for a boy, like five for silver, six for gold. I know it because of the band, the counting crows who have a song about their own band name. That, that is, <laughs> I, okay. I clearly never listened to that song, but I'm like, I did listen to the kind of crows a lot and I did not realize that this was I have. Every second of August and everything after memorized because I am a melancholy motherfucker and that is the melancholiest of albums. It is a very good album. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Okay. But apparently there's another crow-based divination oh. system um, where it is based on what t- time you see a crow flying and like the time correlates to like different meanings um which i did not know i didn't look that deeply into them i'm like oh that's that's cool Interesting. Um, people, people love crows you know <laughs> Some, something about crows the uh, humanity is just really interested <laughs> so yeah lady ruth got her got her finger on the divination tools cool yeah great i know this book is gonna stay sad for a little while before it gets better but even even already i don't know man i'm just so glad to be back in england i'm so glad to be off the beach of sadness like i'm really happy to be in this new book everyone um so relieved to have made it through wayward Sun. yeah 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 definitely in general a much less sad book even with this sort of like melancholy beginning it's like yeah and I think that having, like, in the last book, Shepard was obviously, like, a breath of fresh air every time we were hanging out with him. But I feel like in this book, every Shepard chapter, he's just, like, effervescent with his, like, crush and all of the new knowledge that he's gaining. Like, he's just in his happiest of happy places because literally, like, everything feels so much more heightened when you're, like, in new love also. So, like, mm-hmm. it's just, like, every Shepard chapter, you're like... <gasps> Oh, yay. I love this book. I know. Uh, I love Shepard so much. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's so good. Um, yeah, I can't wait for to talk in depth about this here novel. Yeah. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. Next time we will be talking about chapters four through eight. And in the meantime, check the show notes for all of the things. Make sure you're following the Gaily Planet so you can celebrate summer camp with us and until next time scatamoosh